Welcome to Industry Focus, the podcast that dives into a different sector of the stock market every day. It's Friday, May 11th. We're talking about the Netflix of China. I'm your host, Dylan Lewis, and I'm joined on Skype by Fool.com's Danny Venna. Danny, we both love Netflix, you as a shareholder, me as a binger. Uh, It seems like the streaming subscription model is something a lot of people can get behind. And today we're going to be talking about a company in China that has taken note. So uh, you want to tee up what we're going to be discussing today? Absolutely. So uh, iQiyi, which was a a spinoff from the Chinese Google uh, Baidu, uh, they started off at strictly following the, the Hulu model. Um, They began as a company um, that used strictly advertising to generate their revenue, get as many subscribers in the door as they could, but these people were not paying anything. Um, And it was fairly successful, but about 2015 or so, uh, Baidu recognized just how successful Netflix was becoming, and, and as has been the case with so many Chinese companies. They saw a model that they like and they copied it. And so they generated some uh, new exclusive content. They stuck it behind a paywall. They encouraged users to you know, sign up and pay, in their case, about three bucks a month. And they've gone from there. Yeah, and I'm sure that IGE appreciates the Netflix of China parallels. You know, certainly when Matt Argersinger was first talking about this company, that's that's how I first got wind of it, and he used that as the pitch. I was immediately ears perked up, just because one, the subscription model has been so strong for Netflix, retention has been so good, uh, and two, it's it's just such a scalable model. You know, you, you have something that serves people well, and uh, if you do it right, and you you know kind of build out your content library. Uh, you can really scale your costs pretty quickly and enjoy some nice margins. So, um, you know, iQiyi is a business that operates somewhat like Netflix, somewhat like Hulu, uh, and, and this really kind of plays out in how they make their money uh, and, and in their financials, right? It, it does. So, iQiyi generates, they still generate the majority of their revenue from advertising. Um, when they filed for their IPO, Um, The information that they provided to the SEC essentially was that 47% of their revenue was still generated from advertising. Um, They also earned some money from this subscription revenue. And then they also have a bucket that's called Other. And some of that is a product of uh, content distribution, some of it. It's not entirely like Netflix or Hulu because they sell merchandise that are tied to some of their, you know, original content. They have video games. They have content distribution. So they also have another growing bucket of revenue, which is unlike what we're used to seeing. And as for what growth looks like for that revenue base uh, in the most recent quarter, IQE produced revenue of in the high 700 million range. There, there's some fluctuations depending on the period you're looking at due to currency, uh, because this is a Chinese business. But that was up 57 percent year over year. And while that's that's pretty good growth, this was actually something that the market was a little disappointed in, Danny. And I think the market got that wrong personally because this is on top of 55 percent growth 
in the prior year. So having several years in a row of, you know, exceeding 50% growth for any company is pretty laudable. Yeah, and and I think that you have to be pretty thrilled with that kind of growth. This is kind of like the the Facebook thing, right? Where it's like uh, it defies logic that a company can continue to put up fifty or forty percent growth year over year on top of fifty or forty percent year over year growth. But when you have a product that is that attractive, they just manage to do it. And and I think that you know one of the things that's going to serve them well in the future. And I'm jumping ahead here a little bit, but if you look at the fact that they have more than 400 million subscribers or users, I should say, monthly active users. They have more than 400 million monthly active users on PC. They have more than 400 million, did I say 400 million monthly active users on PC and more than 400 million monthly active users on mobile. And that provides them a big pool of potential paying subscribers. Right, and I think that actual subscriber number is somewhere around 60 million. And I think that you can look at this business a lot of the same ways that you would look at a Spotify. You know, you have this uh, free product that's available. It gets people in the door. It's an introduction, and then they have this content wall, uh, and, and you can pay to see all of this kind of exclusive stuff and, and these originals. And uh, that's been a really successful model for a lot of these content companies, and and it proves to be really great for customer acquisition. Well, and I think that also gives them, I mean, it gives them a funnel because, you know, they have all these people, like you said, they're, they're trying out the free service. But in the meanwhile, they'll, they are still earning advertising dollars off of those customers, even though they're free. And then when those customers decide they want in on some of that higher quality original content, you know, they'll, they'll pony up the few dollars a month to be able to, you know, to view that that original content. Perhaps not surprisingly, for a high-growth business, uh, <laughs> this is not a profitable company. And I think for the foreseeable future, this is going to be a business much like Netflix was, uh, and, and kind of continues to be, that trades based on what subscriber counts look like. People are going to use that as kind of the baseline for what long-term you know, the, the business can project out to. And so long as they can continue to grow that subscriber count, uh, and, and maybe convert some more of those monthly actives to paid subscribers, uh, then, then I think they're going to see a lot of success. That's true, Dylan. Um, you know, looking at their looking at their most recent full fiscal year, and, and 2017 was probably pretty representative of what you'll see going forward. They generated a loss of you know high 500 to 600 million dollars. Um, and primarily because they just keep forking over money for more and more new, original, exclusive content that they're putting behind the paywall. And they've been pretty successful at doing that. They're following the Netflix model in that way, almost to the letter. Yeah, and they've seen a ton of success with this, right? A lot of their original programming seems to really land with Chinese consumers, very much the same way that a lot of Netflix programming, your your House of Cards, your your reboots of Arrested Development, you know, a lot of their movie originals seem to uh, be huge drivers of customer acquisition here in the U.S. and and in some of the new territories for Netflix. Right. Well, um, Aichi, when they started developing this original content, keep in mind that they were still owned by uh, Baidu, uh, which spun them off earlier this year. Now, Baidu has a lot of the same, has a lot of similarities to Google 
Um, they are the major search engine in China. They have a lot of data. They've been at the forefront of artificial intelligence. And so one of the things that Aichi said in their um, IPO filing with the SEC is that they view that data and their ability to, ability to analyze that data using artificial intelligence as one of their competitive advantages. And so they have used that to generate shows um, that Chinese consumers just really love. Um, and I want to read a bit here about one of their shows. Their most successful show to date has been something called The Wrap of China. Um, and that show debuted uh, last summer, and it's been called the most profitable TV show in China ever. Um, it was a 12-episode music competition, uh, similar to a lot of the reality shows that you've seen here. Um, it had 2.68 billion viewers on the season finale in September, and the total cost to develop that program was right around $38 million. Um, they had earned more money than that in advertising in the last 60 seconds of the final season's show. Yeah. So all the rest of the advertising for the whole rest of the season was on top. It already had paid for itself many times over. Yeah, those are some wild economics uh, <laughs> when you break them out that way. Uh, it's crazy. And, and I think, you know, we, we I think have kind of made the point here that the model is very successful. And what makes this particularly enticing is um, we look at the streaming market in the U.S. And, and, and in some ways, it's mature, at least on a relative basis. You know, there's still a lot of households that are on the traditional cable model. But um, to go over to China, you know, the penetration is so much lower, both from a connectivity standpoint uh, and, and just from an adoption standpoint. And so the growth runway in front of a business like this, I think, is just a lot larger than the growth runway in front of a Netflix right now. It, uh, we don't know exactly how many people uh, in China actually use streaming video on demand services, but estimates are somewhere around a 3% penetration rate um, for paying subscribers to these streaming video on demand services like iQi. Um, so when you look at it from that perspective, there are just so many more subscribers to be had. I, I think the runway is incredible. Yeah, and I think uh, I saw an estimate from Statista basically saying that the compound annual growth rate is expected to be somewhere around like 16 or 17 percent annually uh, over the next five or six years in China, the, the streaming video market. Of course, numbers though that are that big entice a lot of other players into the space. And I, and I think that this is something that people need to keep in mind with iQiyi. You have a business that is backed by the, the Google of China, um, but you also have a lot of other deep-pocketed tech companies that are interested in streaming video there. Uh, there is some big competition. Um, we can talk about two of the other biggest players in China. By now, you know, everybody has heard of Alibaba. Um, they are a combination of so many, uh, you know, U.S. companies, but they are most often um, compared to Amazon. But there's so much more going on there. And one of the things that Alibaba has is a, a video streaming service called uh, Youku 
Tudo, which is also one of the big players. Um, and then Tencent Video um, from the video game company in China, although they're also into a lot of different areas. But those are the two main competitors, and they have very deep pockets. They have a lot of money. Um, and those two companies are second and third um, in the number of uh, you know video streaming customers. Um, I think Tencent Video said they have about 450-ish million uh, monthly active users um, under an advertising model. Alibaba's got about 325 million, uh, and they have about Alibaba's got about 43 million paying subscribers. And uh, I take that back. Alibaba's got about 30 million paying subscribers, and Tencent's got about 43 compared to um, iChi's 60 million. So there's a lot of competition there. All three of these companies are trying to develop original content. They're all going after those, you know, China subscribe or China consumer dollars pretty hard. Yeah, and, and I think another point to note with this business is that the economics are slightly different on a per user basis. You know, subscribers for iQIYI pay somewhere in the neighborhood of around like two dollars and fifty cents a month for the service. Um, or, or I think ultimately it might boil up to about thirty dollars per year, uh, depending on you know what, what they decide to opt into. But um, the the value of those users is quite a bit different than the value of a Netflix subscriber because Netflix subscribers are paying you know eleven dollars or twelve dollars a month. Uh, and so when you're thinking about valuing those subscribers, that is something to walk back a little bit. And so you know we we see that they have sixty million paying. Uh, Netflix has over a hundred million paying at this point. And I think that that's an important thing to keep in mind. Absolutely. I, I don't think that they're ever going to be I, – I, I've seen a couple of commentators who said, you know, you really can't compare them to Netflix on an apples-to-apples -apples basis for a number of reasons. One of those reasons is related to the fact that they have the hybrid model between – Netflix and Hulu. So, you know, they're not a pure subscriber based business. But then on the other hand, when they do get paid by those subscribers, uh, those dollars don't go nearly as far. Um, I don't know what the economics are for a company in China that's going to a studio and saying, hey, I, I want to, you know, I want to use this content and how much do I have to pay for it? Um, but you can imagine that. You know, it's still going to be pretty expensive uh, for them. So I don't think they're going to get the same economics out of it that a Netflix does. As we mentioned, this this property just got spun out of uh, Baidu fairly recently. You know, shares have not been trading all that long, uh, and in that time, you know, we've we've seen the usual fluctuations that you might expect from a new issuance hitting the public markets, and and some of that is due to some recent developments that are helping the company out. You know, there are a few things. Personally, when, when I see a company IPO, I like to watch it for a little bit, see what's happening, kind of get a feel for, um, you know, how the financials are doing. Everybody puts their first, their best put forward in their, you know, SEC filings. Not that they're being dishonest, but, you know, they, they want you to see the metrics that put them in the best light. Um, so you kind of want to watch them for a couple of quarters and see what's going on. But even in the last week alone, there's been a couple of major announcements. 
Um, there's a company in China called JD.com, um, which is fairly ubiquitous. It's one of the big e-commerce players in China. And JD.com and iQiyi announced a partnership uh, whereby their premium members of each company would be able to use the services of each without paying a separate fee. And they put out a, a press release within the last couple of days that said in the first week alone, um, they had generated interest from more than a million uh, new customers. Yeah, which which given how competitive, and we, we talk about the different giants in the Chinese tech space, uh, given how competitive that space can be, I think these partnerships are valuable. And this is also uh, similar to what we have seen with Netflix and some of the other you know music streaming options uh, out there. You know, the non-conventional, non-cable uh, companies have done quite a bit to bundle services or offer promotional offers. Uh, you know, you see Spotify deciding to team up with Hulu recently to make their offering a little bit more appealing. You know, Netflix has done some work in the past with the cable companies. Uh, it seems like another situation where iQiyi is kind of borrowing from Netflix's playbook a little bit. It, it does. Uh, you know, these Netflix, it, it's going to be hard for any company to duplicate that kind of success, but that certainly doesn't stop them from, you know, borrowing from the model. Um, you know, the model's wildly successful, so it makes a lot of sense that they would go that route. Um, now, one other thing I wanted to mention, one of the other recent uh, press releases um, came about the fact that iQiyi is the first internet streaming service in China um, to be certified in digital rights management. Um, and that has to do with protecting copyrights of the shows that they use. You know, that, that's something we take for granted here in the United States. Uh, it's something that's been going on here for, for at least a decade. You remember there, were, there was a lot of issues with pirated shows before Netflix started streaming, and the more Netflix got out there with their you know, inexpensive monthly subscriber rates, the more um, pirating dropped. Um, but pirating uh, in China is, is still fairly uh, widespread. Um, but one of the things that iQiyi did was they went to um, a company in China that's been certified by Hollywood Studios, um, a lot of worldwide movie producers, and they got themselves certified as being a protector of uh, you know, digital digital rights, um, and so with with this with this situation, that now makes them more attractive to these Hollywood studios because they feel like when they you know let iQiyi use their content, that it's going to be protected, that it's not going to be out there in the hands of pirates, and you know their their investment there is protected. We talked about our inclination to, uh, you know, have a couple quarters of results and and kind of see how management handles being a publicly traded company uh, before getting too too interested in an IPO. And these two news items alone, I think, have shares up about twenty percent this past week. And so, you know, that that is kind of a testament to how much things can move around early on when you get a lot of excitement about a new business. Um, I have gone on the record in the past in talking about how I. 
do not like buying into recent IPOs. I think even in the never will I ever week, I said that I'd never buy shares of anything that hadn't been trading for at least six six months, uh, just because I like seeing that kind of extended period uh, of results and just kind of a longer track record. Let some of the hype die down a little bit. I think that this might be one that I asterisk Danny because um, you know I, I did say never will I ever, but I, I think there's a lot of really interesting stuff going on here, and I think that there are some things uh, that make this uh, somewhat outside of the standard IPO for me. You know, this is something that has been spun out of a large and successful business. If you're a Peter Lynch follower at all, and you enjoy his investing philosophy, you know he loves the idea of a company being spun out. Because uh, you allow that company to kind of have their growth and their their value realized in a way that maybe it wouldn't be uh, when it's umbrellaed under a larger business. I also look at this IPO slightly differently than I would a standard one because uh, it is not as much of a uh, cash out for you know early investors. You, you look at Baidu and they are still maintaining a very large stake in this company and they are maintaining the controlling interest in this company. Right, Baidu is still the majority shareholder. Um, I looked at some numbers yesterday, and, and if memory serves, it's somewhere in they're still like a 60% owner uh, of ICE, and they are also still mentoring them. They're still providing them with the artificial intelligence um, that they need to, you know, decide what their subscribers want to watch. So I, there, there's a lot uh, to be said about a smaller company having a really large. Um, successful business. And I mean that there's really not many businesses in China that are more successful than Baidu, but having that company as a mentor, as a guide, um, supporting them, providing them data, I think that's a lot different than, you know, a company that's just a startup that's gone out to an IPO. Yeah, and they get particularly attractive to me too because, as it stands, they're roughly a fourteen or fifteen billion dollar business. You look at Netflix as an one hundred and fifty billion dollar business, and you know it's it's easy to kind of extrapolate that out. You know, you have to do some puts and takes there because this this is a company that only operates in China, whereas you know Netflix is in one hundred and ninety countries at this point. But uh, I think it just demonstrates that there is a lot of growth in this space, and as someone that is kind of a pure play, it's a super interesting company. Certainly, one that is on my short-term watch list. There are a couple of the other names that we talked about today. Tencent, uh, in particular, is another company that I'm watching. But the streaming video space in China just seems so poised for growth right now. It it's crazy. You know, they they. I think the consumers in China are a few years behind us in terms of, uh, you know, Netflix started their streaming video back in 2007. Um, Aichi started their business in about 2010, um, and the the modeling of Netflix only started in mid 2015. So you know they're several years behind. I think there's still a lot of growth there. I think that um, I, the runway is pretty incredible. It's it's never going to reach the scale of a Netflix. Um, China has about 1.3 billion people compared to the 7 billion in the world that Netflix has as potential customers you know obviously there are going to be some places where you're going to have uh, not going to have the availability of of fixed broadband um, where data rates on cell phones are not going to be conducive to streaming video 
But when you take those out, you take out the consumers that, um, you know, really couldn't afford a service like that. You know, the, the poverty uh, level uh, consumers, you've still got a really huge runway. And I have read some estimates that said that, you know, potential uh, for streaming market in China right now is somewhere in the neighborhood of 600 to 700 million and it's climbing um, as, uh, you know, you've got a growing middle class in China. Um, you've got more uh, urban um, urban millennials who are tech savvy and who are making enough money to afford these services. So I, I think the, the runway is pretty large. That's all to say there are a lot of megatrends that are pushing this company. Uh, it is something okay. that I am probably going to look to opportunistically start a small position in and, and maybe add to over the next couple months. Uh, Danny, is this something that you're interested in as a stock to own? You know, it, it's a company that, again, you know, my inclination at first is to not go in a fresh IPO having been burned in the past. Um, but looking at this company, and there's a lot of outlying factors, there are a lot of asterisks, as you put it, um, a lot of reasons why you know this will be one. I was actually looking to make an investment in this company in the last uh, week or two. Um, I, I think that's firmed up in my mind a little bit, and I will probably be doing the same thing as you sometime in the coming weeks or months. I'll be looking to establish a position. And credit where credit is due on this. Like I said, Matt Argersinger put this company on our radar. So, so thanks to him for tipping us off. And thanks to you, Danny, for hopping on the show and talking about it with me. No problem. Always happy to do it, Dylan. <laughs> Listeners, that does it for this episode of Industry Focus. If you have any questions or if you just want to reach out and say, hey, you can shoot us an email over at industryfocus at fool.com or you can tweet us at MF Industry Focus. If you're looking for more of our stuff, you can subscribe on iTunes or check out the Fool's family of shows over at fool.com slash podcasts. As always, people on the program may own companies discussed on the show, and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against stocks mentioned, so don't buy or sell anything based solely on what you hear. Thanks to Austin Morgan for all his work behind the glass. For Danny Venna, I'm Dylan Lewis. Thanks for listening, and Fool on. Fool on.